Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. I have a question to ask you today that uh, maybe seems a rather sobering question on a, such a joyous day and season. How can a loving God send anyone to hell? It's a question that plenty um, of those who would call themselves atheist or agnostic would, would throw it at us Christians uh, who believe in heaven and hell. So how do you answer that question? Well, I, I find that this third servant song in Isaiah addresses that, and, and that's why I ask it. And it shows us where the blame really lies if anyone ends up there. Uh, but this passage shows us much more than that. It, it gives us a prophetic glimpse into the earthly life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who would willingly humble himself, be born a helpless baby, uh, and then grow up and learn obedience to his Heavenly Father, even when that meant then willingly going all the way to the cross out of love for you and I and all mankind. So I invite you to look with me at Isaiah chapter 50 today. And if you would stand in reverence to God's word as I read. <clears throat> Isaiah 50 verses 1 through 11. This is what the Lord says. Where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or of whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold, you were sold for your wrongdoings, for your wrongful acts your mother was sent away. Why was there no one when I came? When I called, why was there no one to answer? In my hand so sh is my hand so short that it cannot redeem? Or, or do I have no power to rescue? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I turn rivers into a wilderness, and their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples so that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting, for the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have made my, feet, my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him approach me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. A moth will eat them. Who is among you who fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant, and who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with flaming arrows and walk in the light of your fire, and among the flaming arrows you have set ablaze, this you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Let us pray. Lord, this is a perhaps difficult passage for us to understand, but there's so much in here pointing to the Savior. And we pray that as we meditate on it, that would become very clear to us and we would 
be filled with thankfulness for what you were willing to go through for us, Jesus. We pray. Amen. Please be seated. So this year during Advent, we've been looking at four different sections in the Old Testament book of Isaiah that are sometimes known as Isaiah's servant songs. And I want to just be honest for a minute here and say, you know, I asked Pastor Ryan for some ideas for an Advent team, and this is what he came up with, okay? And when, we, when he listed out the four texts, um, and then we figured out what Sundays each of us were going to be here and which would work, it ended up that, that I got two texts that were not familiar to me at all. I'd never preached on them, never really studied them, and he got the familiar ones. So anyway, all four sections uh, recorded by Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, and they still so clearly point to an extraordinary servant of God, a, a servant who would come along sometime in the future, a, a servant that would be like no other, and only Jesus Christ fits these descriptions. And this third servant song is preceded by some very interesting questions. Questions that the Lord God then is asking of his people Israel. And the first one is this. Where is the certificate of divorce? Verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Now what in the world is that about? Well, in ancient Jewish law, if a man went through the process of filling out a certificate of divorce, then his wife would have no way of yet preserving the marriage. The, the law allowed for him to just sign that certificate, and that severed the relationship permanently. Well, Israel is estranged from God, like a wife estranged from her husband but God is pointing something out here. He's pointing out that he didn't fill out the paperwork. The estrangement is not on his end. It is Israel that has left God, not the other way around. And this estrangement doesn't need to be permanent. The next question. To whom of my creditors did I sell you? And so now what is that about? Well, Jewish law also allowed that, that if a debtor defaulted on a payment, then the creditor would have the right to enslave the debtor's dependents, his wife or kids. And so God is saying to Israel here, you are enslaved not because I sold you, but verse 1, behold, you were sold for your wrongdoings and your wrongful acts. Your mother was sent away. And so you see, in either of those illustrations, God is saying to Israel, your situation is dire due to your own bad choices. And now who can rescue you from your predicament? And that brings the next question here. Why was there no one? Why will no one do anything to help you, Israel, in your distress? Doesn't anyone care? Is no one able to help? Uh, you look around you um, for help. You look, at, look to the other nations around you, for instance, to come to your rescue. Why do you not look to me, the Lord your God? Verse 2, he says, And is my hand so short that it cannot redeem? That is... Am I so short on cash I can't redeem you? And of course God's emphatic answer here is, no, I have no limits to my bank account. I am God who makes all men rich or poor as I desire, and I certainly then am rich enough to pay to redeem you. That is to buy you back from your self-inflicted slavery. Next question, do I have no power to rescue you? Am I too weak to fight off the enemy and rescue you? And how does God answer that here? 
Well, he points Israel to his power over nature that he has demonstrated before in, in their history. For instance, when Pharaoh's army was chasing them and they were pressed up against the Red Sea, God caused the waters of the Red Sea to part. And later, when it was time for them to enter the Promised Land, he caused the Jordan River to wall up so they could cross on dry land again. Verse 2 here then he says, Or do I have no power to rescue? Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I turn rivers into a wilderness. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their, their covering. You see, before Pharaoh let the children of Israel at last go, God even caused darkness to come over the whole land of Egypt for three days, except where the children of Israel were. And so you see, throughout human history, God has time and time again, um, in many ways, shown his power over nature. And he still does today, doesn't he? We see these uh, 40 degree drop in temperature sometimes in 24 hours up here in the Northland. Or, or we think of the destruction uh, by the wind in Kentucky just in the last week. God has all power at his disposal, whether that be for destruction or to rescue. And God is saying here, I do have the power to redeem my wayward people. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my servant to accomplish it. No one else could do it. None other of my servants was completely faithful and obedient, but I do have one who is. Let me tell you about him. And then as we look here in verses 4 through 9, we have really the, the servant's testimony of, of his own reliance in, on the Lord to make it possible for him to then to com completely carry out his mission. And so you see in verse 4, he says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, so, so that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. Think of Jesus when he came on the scene in the Gospels and, and his words brought hope to the weary. I, I can't help but think of those verses in, in uh, Matthew 11 where he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Well, so how was it that Jesus knew what to say, and that he could offer hope to the weary. I have always found it a, a bit of a mystery to understand just how Jesus could be fully God and fully human at the same time. And so, for instance, how, how did that work? And how, how much did he know and understand of his mission on earth while he was that human baby? Was it like Jack-Jack in the animated movie The Incredibles? gradually discovering his superpowers? There's so much that we don't know or understand. But the Bible does tell us some things about this. In Luke chapter 2, for instance, after Jesus was presented as a baby there in the temple, it tells us that the child continued to grow and to become strong, that's physically, and also increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And we get a glimpse of Jesus at age 12, sitting in the midst of the teachers there in the temple, both listening and asking questions. And, and after that, it, it again says this, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And, and so it seems that though he was divine, yet there was this gradual increase of understanding and growing in awareness of his mission. 
And here in Isaiah 50 then, verse 4, the Lord God's servant says about God, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. It's fascinating. If you read through the Gospel of Luke, we see a pattern there. A pattern in Jesus' earthly life as an adult. A pattern of rising early and going off by himself to a quiet place to pray and to converse with his Heavenly Father. And it tells us that he would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. And this pattern then of spending time alone with his Heavenly Father involved both talking to the Father and also listening to him. And it resulted in a life of obedience. The Lord God's servant in verses 5 to 6 here goes on to state then, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting. How descriptive that is of what Jesus endured, of mocking and torture before being hung on the cross to die. And what irony, when you think of it, what irony is that the divine would endure verbal insults and spitting in his face to save those who mocked him. How can it be that, that the all-powerful Son of God who could have called 10,000 angels to, the, to destroy the world to set him free, instead, as that song says, he died alone for you and me? Why did he do it? Because he had learned obedience to his Heavenly Father. And because his time with the Heavenly Father strengthened him and empowered him to be obedient. And you know, that is also true for us, too, if we will take time to be alone with the Lord God in his word and in prayer, we will find that a source of power to live out our Christian life. The Lord God's servant further testifies here in verse 7. The Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced, therefore I have made my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. And God's servant is saying here, the Lord God helps me to be resolute in my mission. In Luke chapter 9, it tells us about Jesus, that it came about when, when the days were approaching for his ascension, that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. That is, he determined to go there, even though he knew the suffering and death that was ahead of him. And then lastly, as we see in, in uh, verses 8 and 9 here, the Lord God helps me stand when falsely accused. Jesus knew that the accusations against him could not stand. You, you might say that he had the Heavenly Father as his lawyer and, and, and as his judge, and he was completely innocent. Verse 8 here, he says, who, He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him approach me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment, and moth will eat them. And he's saying that all their insults and accusations, they are all temporary. They will not last. He would be shown to be innocent of all charges. Pontius Pilate found nothing wrong with him. And only the charge of blasphemy remained. And his resurrection from the dead would vindicate his claim that he was the Son of God. And so the prophet Isaiah here has revealed to us the Lord God's one obedient servant who, who relied on his heavenly father as he, as he came to fulfill his mission. And the heavenly father gave him then a, a tongue 
to speak comfort to the weary. And he gave them an ear to listen and to learn obedience. And he helped them. And he empowered him to resolutely then go to the cross. And he defended him against his accusers. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from long ago in England, wrote a sermon titled, The Redeemer's Face Set Like a Flint. And I share just a short quote from that here. He says this, My great object is to lead you to love him who so loved you that he set his face like a flint in his determination to save you. O ye redeemed ones, on whose behalf this strong resolve was made, ye who have been bought by the precious blood of this steadfast, resolute Redeemer, come and think for a while of him, that your hearts may burn within you and that your faces may be set like flints to live and to die for him who lived and died for you. There are just a couple verses left in this text. <clears throat> verses 10 and 11 here. We see the Lord God's appeal to respond to this servant that he sent. This servant who went to the cross for you. And he points out there are really two types of responses sent to him. There are those who have no light, who are invited then to come to the light of the servant. Imagine it being stuck um, with no power at night, in the dark, in the cold of winter, miserable and freezing. Huddling there in the dark, and, and you see across the street, lights on, and a fire burning in the fireplace. Wouldn't you want to go there? It's an invitation a bit like that that's offered here. For the people of Israel many years ago, but for you and I today as well. If you realize the darkness of the world around you, if you realize also the darkness of your own sinful heart, then come to the light. The light of God's one obedient servant, Jesus Christ. The one who did not hide his face from having insults hurled against him, and who gave his back to be flogged, and who resolutely then set his face to go to the cross for you and I, that we might know forgiveness of all of our sins, and a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. Come to his light. The other alternative, instead of coming to the light, is to sit in the darkness trying to light your own fire. Have you ever tried that? I, I have. I, I will spare you details of a Boundary Waters canoeing trip, um, trying to set up camp in the dark and to light a campfire with wet wood. But you see what the prophet Isaiah is saying here is that those who, instead of coming to the light of the Lord God, that, that he is sent in his person of, of the obedient servant Jesus Christ. Those who instead of that, instead attempt to light their own fire, he says, will lie down in torment. God has done everything possible to provide salvation for all who will receive it, but, but some will still in stubbornness refuse it, and if they do, then, and if they continue to re resist till they draw their last breath, then it will be too late in God's final judgment awaits them. The Gospel of John sums this up awfully well. You, you know at least one of those verses I've met. There it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. It goes on to tell us this, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe 
has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds are evil. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord God, for answering that question. As we see that you truly are a God who, in your great love for us, sent your Son. I thank you that in him there is available light in this world. There is forgiveness of all of our sin. There is eternal life with you in heaven. And we thank you that you offer that so freely to us, no matter who we are or what we have done. And even if we are stubborn and resist for a long time, you continue to reach out your hand and invite us to come to the light. And Lord, I pray that for each one of us here, as we celebrate this Christmas season, that, that we would know the light of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin and eternal life that he offers, and the heart change that comes with that, Lord. And Lord, that you would fill us with uh, loving concern for those around us and that you would help us to invite them also to come to the light. We ask your blessing, Lord, on, on this morning and in uh, the Christmas program uh, children will be involved in to follow, Lord. May that light be clear there as well and bring joy to our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.